0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Animals at Home podcast. My name is Dylan. Thank you very much for joining me today. If you're new to the show, then welcome. If you're not subscribed, make sure you hit subscribe button on whichever podcasting app you use and definitely subscribe on YouTube as well. I do post all the video versions of the podcast on YouTube. So if you want to check those out, they are there for you. As I said last week, I was able to go make a donation to the Amazon Rainforest Conservancy based off of the income from the channel. I think the total donation was around $81, something along those lines, which brings our total donation up to about $350. So I'm super excited about that. I know it's still a small number, but I'm really working towards making that number much bigger. So every quarter or so, still gonna continue to make donations based off of the income from YouTube, as well as anything else. If if you do purchase a Animals at Home t-shirt, $5 does go directly to the charity. So there's a bunch of little ways That I collect donations, but really excited to help protect parts of the Peruvian rainforest with the Amazon Rainforest Conservancy. If you are looking to support the show, definitely go onto the Apple Podcasting app and give it a five star rating. I think about 50 of you guys have done that so far, which I'm super grateful for. So thank you if you've done that. And you can also share the content, share it on Facebook or on Instagram. That is a huge help. I want to take this moment to thank CustomReptileHabitats.com for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you are in need of any, gold standard reptile equipment, please go check them out. Links are in the description as well as the show notes. On today's episode of the podcast, I had the pleasure of chatting with another Canadian creator. Today I chatted with Adam Wickens from the YouTube channel Wickens Wicked Reptiles. Adam's channel is only about a year old and it's now almost at 17,000 subscribers, especially in the last few months. His channel has really blown up. He's done a really good job creating thorough care guides for the species he keeps, but he also creates these really interesting top five lists top five most illegal reptiles, top five mutant reptiles, top five hybrid reptiles. Really interesting, engaging content that sparks a lot of conversation and and some controversy as well, but I think it was really interesting. And of course, we also chat about just working on YouTube and creating content, especially from a Canadian's point of view, because there is some differences between the hobby from U.S. to Canada. And we also discuss his outdoor enclosures he keeps a few animals outside which i was super super curious about so we do discuss that let's jump into the episode here's my conversation with adam well adam welcome to the show thank you very much for joining me today
1: thanks for having me i appreciate
0: it i think i think you're only like the fifth or sixth canadian i've had uh, on the show so it's always good to talk to another canadian
1: hey that's uh, i've started following your channel before i started a channel myself and it was very cool to see like another canadian voice like in this niche, especially,
0: yeah. There's not a ton of us, and I, I, think I, I always see that you get ragged on this in the comments, and I have maybe even done it as well. There's a, a few videos you wear a Boston Bruins hat, and for people that don't realize <laughs> living in Ontario, that's actually like a legitimate danger, dangerous behavior.
1: <laughs> it is a, it's a hazard to my health, especially when I go to Toronto to Expos and I wear a, a Boston. People kind of look at me with a stink eye, but it is what it is. Born and raised a Boston sports fan, so <laughs> that's the way it is.
0: So, th- you did not grow up in Ontario then.
1: I did grow up in Ontario, but my dad grew up in Nova Scotia, so mm, got the it. closest team, right? So it was either that or the Canadians, and I don't know, back in the day, they didn't like French people, I guess, so <laughs> Boston was their team, and that's, that's where I was raised as a Boston sports fan.
0: Got it. So in terms of your reptile journey then, so you you're born and raised in Ontario, how did you get into the reptile hobby? What was the first animal that uh, came into your care?
1: Uh, so like, officially captive, um, besides like catching frogs and stuff, it, I was pretty late, I think it was 19. And I was working with uh, this girl, uh, we worked at a call center together, and she had two bearded dragons, and they produced eggs, so they had, she had to separate them, which they shouldn't have been together in the first place. And I was talking about getting a leopard gecko, maybe. So she said, well, do you want a bearded dragon? And I said, yes. And then the next day, I went to wherever, whatever pet store, got everything I needed, and I had a bearded dragon. So it was just kind of like on a whim, even though I was doing the research before for a bunch of different species. That's And then the other bearded dragon came into my care, and then... Bunch of crested geckos and leopard geckos, and it just kind of evolved from there.
0: How long did it take you to go from that initial bearded dragon to like the classic uh, collection expansion that we all go through?
1: Uh, it took a while actually, because uh, when I was nineteen, I got into uh, it's a bodybuilding, and that's like took over my entire life basically. So I had three reptiles at the time: two bearded dragons uh, and then a leopard gecko. And then when I was done with that, I'm like, okay, well, what do I want to do now? Uh, and I just got an, I got one snake, and then I got whole bunch of snakes so i think it was probably five years ago that i really started to expand the collection
0: yeah bodybuilding is such a insane process hey whenever i see people doing it it's just like the most amount of time on every part of your day is dedicated towards that
1: yeah there's no days like there's no such thing as christmas off like there was the gym that i go to is 24 hours and there was 20 of us there on christmas like there's no days off and have to eat every two hours it's the most crazy thing ever but uh those days are behind me I, my shoulder doesn't really work the way that it used to anymore but uh it's a lot more fun and I do stand-up comedy now so keeping your clothes on on stage is more beneficial and fun to me than standing up there for eight minutes a year in like a speedo so it's, it's good it's good yeah fun. yeah, cool yeah.
0: With it. yeah I've, I've done the speedo thing being a swimmer I was a speedo in a speedo for 20 years so I, I know how you feel <laughs> um so that's interesting uh, I didn't realize that you were a stand-up comedian, but it does make sense because you're so good on camera. And like when you're speaking in, in front of your camera, you just deliver everything so well. Is that have you always been good at that, or how, like how did those two things link together?
1: Uh, well, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. I don't know if it's ever like, if it's always been like that. I tried stand-up one time when I was 19, and that was when I was like, okay, am I going to be the reptile guy, the stand-up guy, or the bodybuilding guy? And I went the one way, which is the one you wanted to go with when you're young, right? Because you only have one opportunity. Um, but I grew up on like Jeff Foxer, they was always playing in my house. The first book I ever read was his book. And then I found George Carlin when I was like 12 or 13. And then I realized, okay, well, one day I'm going to do this. And then well, I decided to do it and I ran with it. And then, uh, now there's not <clears throat> much comedy going on, but yeah, you know, <laughs> it's, it's what I love to do. It's just that in Canada, like where we are, there's really no such thing as being able to make a living doing, it. you got to move across the border and it's tough to do that.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. But I can definitely see the connection now. So in terms of your YouTube channel, the YouTube channel is actually fairly fresh. It's not like it's a, a super old channel. You started it maybe, it was it a year ago or so? Uh,
1: yeah, January 14th, 2019 was when I started it, yeah.
0: So tell me about why you started it. Because the, as you were saying, in the Canadian space, it's not crowded. But in, in general, on YouTube, the reptile space is pretty crowded. Like just, It's pretty saturated in a lot of ways. And you actually have a channel that's taken off and it's done well. So was there something that you thought you could add to the YouTube sphere? Or you just thought, i would just go for it and see what happens?
1: Um, to be honest, like I was just out of work for a couple of weeks at the time. And uh, a guy who runs comedy shows, and I've done a bunch of shows for him before, and he's like, man, you got all these reptiles. Like, why don't you do something with it? You're not working right now. You have all this time, and you have uh, the personality to do it. And i thought, okay, well, I'll give it a try. Because I've done other YouTube things that never really worked. They weren't about reptiles at all. So I just tried it, and then I just decided, all right, I'm gonna stick with this for a year. And if it doesn't go anywhere, then you know, I'm done with it. But then it just did. It just started to go somewhere, and I'm very happy with the growth. By no means am I a snake discovery getting 14,000 subs a day or anything, but. Uh, I feel very confident with the way that it's going, and I am very appreciative for anyone who's you know paid attention for long enough to subscribe to the channel.
0: Yeah, because it definitely—I would say probably your last like three months or so—it seems like there was a big spike.
1: Yeah, I think it was like I hit 5,000 subscribers in November, and then ever since then it just really took off. And I think there are certain videos that you do that just kind of spike you, and then the analytics start to like you, and it just you grow this momentum, and then eventually you go into a recession like kind of our, my channel isn't right now, but, uh, yeah, it's been great growth. And I, I think that's yeah the last, you know, six months, less than six months, probably four or five months.
0: Was there something specific that you were going to tackle making the channel or were you just thinking, I'll just, uh, show my animals and and then just go from there?
1: Uh, I just wanted to, I, I like the fact that it's a Canadian thing because there's, like you said, there's not a lot of Canadian voices in this niche. So just kind of a different perspective and, um, having different species than, or a limited amount of species where in the states we can't have rock iguanas here, things like that right? So just kind of speaking on that front and that resonates well with Europeans because a lot of European countries are limited as well. Um, but I just thought, all right well you know you're a funny guy on stage, be a funny guy kind of in front of a camera and maybe you could open up the reptile uh, niche or love for reptiles to people who maybe never would have thought uh, anything except for that's a snake that's scary just kind of bring other eyes and bring an open mind to other people.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's definitely an interesting world, the YouTube world, especially trying to figure out those analytics and analytics and whatnot. Like it's always just a total mystery in terms of what's good and what's bad. But it seems like you have definitely discovered something because you have the, I mean, your lists, for example, have really taken off. I'm sure that has been a, a huge part of your growth and it's, you've added something that I think wasn't there before. It's it's sort of a fresh take on, on the hobby in general, and I, I want to talk about those lists in a second. But kind of getting back to that, uh, being a, a keeper in Canada, it, it there is actually a difference. Like it, it's dif- more difficult. The supplies are not as easy. It seems like to get everything you see on YouTube uh, on the American channels. You're like, I wish I could get that, but it's impossible to get here. Or and just like you said, that the variety of animals that we have here is is def- just definitely not as high. You know, like we you see so many different types of animals on, on YouTube and here if you find them you they're super expensive or wild caught and whatnot and it's just a different world
1: yeah I, i'm glad you touched on that the expensive part is the one thing and you see all these other channels ah this costs you about this much and then you go to a reptile expo whatever that thing is even deli cups here are more expensive than in the states never mind you know everything else and i've got a lot of friends now because of youtube in the states that run youtube channels also oh yeah, I bought a Mexican black snake this week for 200 bucks and then I go to Kijiji or whatever, you know, classified site and it's like 600 bucks for one. So, or even if you can find one and they're always babies and sometimes it's like a, not even a captive raised baby, not for Mexican blacks, but other species. So I think you really hit it right on the head what it means and why being Canadian is a little bit more difficult or there's more challenges than if you're uh, set of at the border.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, it's definitely a little bit of a different world. And, and hopefully as the, as the hobby grows in Canada, we'll have more opportunity. People start, you know, captive breeding those specific animals. Obviously, there's that the border creates a big block, you know, having uh-huh. uh, captive bred animals make their way up here and whatnot. So I, I want to talk about your, your lists, because obviously they're, a big part of your channel is care guides, like you've done really well with some care guides they've, they've taken off and you have uh, thousands and thousands of views on those. But these lists are really interesting. And uh, how did that come to you?
1: I was just trying to think, and I think the first one that I ever did that really took off was, I thought, okay, well, if people like lists, they've always been working, it was like maybe a thousand views a video or something. And then if you talk about something that's a little bit controversial, or you make the title controversial, but spin it back in the video to something that is useful and not controversial. So I did one, I think it was called mutant reptiles, It's about um, uh, hybrid reptiles. And that was in September. And I thought the analytics were broken because I've never seen a video shoot that high, that quick. So, and I thought, okay, well, now I'm on to something. And then I did, uh, what about, you know, controversial reptiles or dangerous reptiles and the Canadians love that one. I don't know if you're part of the Facebook groups, holy cow. But <laughs> I just thought uh, people like like um, lists, they always work really well. And then if you do some uh, a list about something that someone wants to see or is enticing from the title, but then you make the contents. Uh, so that it's entertaining or interesting and not super controversial then I don't know that's just kind of my game plan when I do these lists
0: yeah it's interesting because it's almost like the title is a bit clickbaity but then when you watch the video it's not it it is exactly Mm. what it is it's not like oh I'm disappointed Mm. it's like oh you're talking about exactly like the title says and it seems like one of those things where oh I'm going to click on this and it's not going to be at all what the title says but it's 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 definitely not so are you doing did you consciously make like SEO change? Like are you trying to optimize the channel for certain videos uh, in terms of keywords or anything? Or were you just trying things? I try a little
1: bit. I I just, I don't think that the keywords or the tags, I guess, they're so hidden now when you upload videos, right? And I don't know if they help as much anymore, but I know that if you say the word, like whatever keyword in the title, in the description, and then you actually say it, I don't know how verbally they pick it up, but apparently they do, then it all matches and uh, the algorithm likes that. But like you said, I think the very important thing with these kind of clickbaity titles is give the people what they clicked for. Because if they don't, they will not subscribe. Your video will get two minutes of view time and no one will watch it. So if you're going to make something like that, do the research, do the work, and at least make it what people think they're actually clicking.
0: Yeah, exactly. The last thing you want is people clicking off and then hitting the down uh, thumbs down like that's going to be the worst thing for your analytics so in mm-hmm. terms of your your process of making those what do you so for example like you did the the most how did you i think it was the mutant video or the hybrids video i can't exactly mm-hmm. remember the title how did you go about making what's your process uh compiling a list uh
1: so i think people like don't really realize how long it takes to do i bet it, it takes it's, long it takes forever and not even just the editing like editing a video can take up to eight hours just for the editing. But before I even shoot it, I'll do a few weeks. Uh, like I'll have an idea, and then maybe next month I'll do the video. And in that time, I'll talk to someone who breeds firm balls, right? I'll reach out to a Bob Clark, whoever you know. Like it's tough to get a hold of those type of people, but smaller breeders who breed these things or have um, uh, a little bit more experience with them. I'm trying to do. Uh, I've got a video in works right now, and I'm talking to some breeders of some scaleless snakes. It has something to do with that. So you get some first class or first uh, hand information and then you put it down, you write it down, just kind of like I imagine you're doing for this video, and uh, you just figure out what you want to talk about, you let it take you from there, and and you, you edit the video and you post it and hope for the best. That's basically, that's my process, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, because the, the other thing that you can, the other thing that can happen if you make lists is people are gonna disagree with it and they might create some, some friction with the viewers. But I think a lot of times it also sparks just really good discussion, which is another good thing for YouTube. YouTube likes to see comments, I think. And I, I imagine your videos are getting lots of comments because people might go, hey, I agree with the first three, but the last two I completely disagree with.
1: Yeah. And I think on YouTube, it's weird because as Canadians, we're always seen as like these super happy, super nice to each other people. On YouTube, I get mostly positive feedback, almost all positive. I very rarely have a negative comment, but then I I like to share on Reddit, not so much, but Facebook groups especially. Uh, And I try to engage people like, hey, this is my video. What do you think about this? And then if they watch it, great. But it's always the Canadian groups that just, they have issues or whatever it is on the phone. I don't agree with this, but it's not, I don't agree with this. I don't agree with this. And you're an idiot because this, this, and <laughs> yeah. this. It's like, all right, well, we just disagree, man. Like, let's have a conversation, about it changed my mind, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's funny. I know we both done a video on how crazy social media is and you're, and you're right. YouTube same with me 99% of the comments super positive really you know people are enjoying the content adding good even if they disagree it's in a you know a positive way with in good spirit and then yeah Facebook you have these weird sections where people just no longer behave like humans
1: and it's so weird too because we're at the end of the day we're all humans and we're all part of this nation it's a weird thing not as much as we ingrain ourselves in our lives revolve around reptiles to a certain extent Most people like regular people don't know anything about reptiles. So we're all part of like this club or this group together. Why are we being so rude and ruthless and just savages? I just don't understand. I I don't get it at all. If you disagree with someone, just talk to them, shoot them a private message. If they're doing something really bad, that's something else. But I'm making. I'm sitting in a basement, surrounded by reptiles, talking to a camera like a weirdo. Like I'm not hurting the reptile. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. So if you disagree, just uh, you know, shoot me a message. Let's let's talk about it, and I'll make a video about how I was wrong. I, I like making those videos too.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So for example, something like the hybrids. Do people get mad at you for highlighting those types of things? Like, is that some of the negative feedback you'd get?
1: Uh, the most feedback that I uh, that I got was that was negative from that one. Is people saying that I was um, promoting it, which I wasn't. I was just talking about it. Uh, and that's why I wanted to do the video about the mutant reptiles, which is a different one about like scaleless and things like that. Right, right. right and I was, right. yeah, I was trying to say that I don't agree. Like I don't breed spider ball pythons. If you do great, I don't breed scaleless stuff. If you do great and just kind of saying, this is why I don't do it. But also if someone does it, just, you know, talk to them and ask them why and don't be a jerk. That's basically it
0: yeah yeah exactly um yeah yeah that's right. There was a difference between the mutant ones and the hybrid ones, and the hybrid video that you did, I didn't even know about some of those hybrids like it's really crazy some of the pairings that people have made in the hobby
1: yeah, they're very interesting. I think I don't know I personally don't have an issue with them because although some of them can be rebred, no one is buying a Burmese ball python hybrid and not knowing like no one. Doesn't know, and also the thing is too. Even if you don't know, you can't afford it because if you don't know, you likely don't have the money in order to afford it. And if you do have the money to afford it, you have the knowledge also because why else would you buy something like that? So I don't know. That's what people always said is uh, you know you're muddying the waters. I don't know Indonesian to Northern Blue Tongue Skink. I understand that makes a little bit more sense because you know, one is more expensive than the other and you can't get northerns brought into the country anymore, where you can with Indonesians. So that's a different thing, but berms and balls, I mean, there's a million of each. So if you put them together and you make a 10 foot snake that looks like a ball python, that's pretty cool to me.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely interesting. And for sure there's two different sort of factions of people that some people really hate it. And and for me, I, I like clean, like lo- keeping localities clean, like you're saying, keeping things that are very much the same species, but different localities. As soon as you mix them, you can never unmix them. But the hybrids, there's something really interesting. I don't think I would ever purchase a hybrid myself. Although, like, one of my boas is is a Central American and Colombian boa hybrid. And I had, I just bought it because I thought it was, uh, I didn't really even know anything about snakes at the time. It was like, you know, the, the first boa I bought. And I don't have a problem with him. He's a he's a great snake. But it, it is, like, something like the, it the Burmese and the reticulated python. Was that the bat, what was it called, bat eater?
1: Yeah, it's a bad eater. And I think those are cool. And the other thing, too, is like if you like certain characteristics, and that's why I think Super Balls, which is um, uh, uh, what am I trying to say here? A Blood Python to a Ball Python are so popular because Blood Pythons can be kind of nasty and Ball Pythons are the exact opposite. But Ball Pythons can look kind of boring to people and Blood Pythons look awesome. So if you can get to, and that's the thing with the, the Bad Eaters is retics are fast and uh they've got this voracious appetite where burmese pythons are like the gentle giants of the snake world from the people that i know that have uh you know handled them that's kind of the comparison that they they make so if you want something that looks like a retic but acts like a berm then you can kind of sort of get that
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and they, they look so crazy those bat eaters like you i would never have guessed that's what that combination would turn out like
1: and that's the thing is there's all these morphs and but i'm I don't know, I like the way that natural snakes and natural lizards look. I like the way that a normal ball python looks, which is why I featured one of my last video because it's not all about morphs. And even though it's a $10 snake or you know, I bought them for $5 before, I think that they're beautiful. And if you can take a natural of this and a natural of this and make something that is not really a morph, but a hybrid, it's just like a new thing, something totally different than on this morph game that we've been playing for the last 10 or 15 years.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. So in terms of your own story, did you as i know you had racks and things when you were when you started or i assume you were breeding ball pythons or was it mostly leopard geckos so before both?
1: it's mostly leopard geckos now i've only got a few pairs um and i breed hognose snakes and i do have a pair of ball pythons i'm trying to breed but before i started the channel in 2017 um i did a lot of ball python breeding and i just i got out of it eventually it just wasn't what i wanted to do and I wasn't making any money doing it really, because I'm sure, you know, in Canada, it's really hard to sell the animals you produce a lot of the time. So, you know, it's $3 and 75 cents for a rat, just I don't know as an example. And then you have 20 ball pythons and the females need to be fed every week. Yeah. It just, it wasn't financially responsible for me to continue doing that without making, and I couldn't sell most of the animals. So I just stopped doing that. But now I've this platform and I get, you know, 10 messages a day about, Hey, can I buy this, that, and the other thing? So it's, everything's basically sold before it even hatches. And I think that's the responsible way to breed because you don't want to have a bunch of things that you can't sell and you can't take care of properly.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's so easy when you're a new person into the hobby to go down the, I want to breed ball pythons because it looks so fun. And it, especially when you add the morph game into there, like you're just sort of playing, it's creating these really neat combinations and you kind of maybe see like a maybe potential of making some money. And I did the same thing. Like when I first got my boas, I was like designing racks in my head. Like this is, and this is before I started the channel as well. And uh, and yeah, eventually you kind of have to step back and go, this, this might not be the best thing for my pocketbook, but also I'm going to have animals that now exist exist that didn't need to exist potentially.
1: Well, and I because when I first started following your channel like way before I started my own, the what really interested me in your channel is you build stuff. Like you you take windows and then make like your own enclosure for it. Uh, I think the way that I learned to put a heat panel onto a PVC was from one of your videos. So like do you enjoy doing that? Like do you enjoy building the stuff and like the racks and things like that as much as keeping stuff inside of them?
0: Oh, yeah. The the building is great. Like the process of creating an enclosure and and putting the decor in there is just, I I think, one of the best parts about the hobby, in my opinion. And you build as well.
1: Yeah, I had no skills whatsoever before I started doing this. And I built, um, my dad helped me. He's not a great carpenter, but he actually knows what he's doing, where I didn't before I started. But uh, the enclosures that you see in some of the reptile rooms, the big white melamine enclosures, those are the first things I ever built with uh, the help of my dad who kind of knew what he was doing. And then ever since then, I built a bunch of racks by myself and some of them I don't even have anymore because I sold them at the Ball Python collection a couple of years ago. Uh, but I, I love building stuff and building the outdoor enclosures, which, and people don't really like that, but <laughs> I like building those too. It's a lot of fun. I, I like my really low level of carpentry.
0: Well, yeah, you definitely get to push your skill level into a new uh, and, you know, the first few enclosures that you make are just going to be horrible. But it's just, it's totally part of the process of, of learning to, to care for the animal. And, and that was something that we had talked about kind of on, on through DM was, I think that that movement from away from tubs and small racking systems towards big enclosures seems to be happening now. That seems to be kind of a, a general meme, within the, hobby, meme within, within the reptile hobby. And uh, I'm sure you're you promote that as well. You're happy to see that.
1: Yeah, and I think I I would never say that there's something wrong with racks inherently. Like, if you watch a snake discovery, I I mean, who can argue those are great enclosures for those animals? But if you're one of those people that has a piece of paper and a water bowl and that's it, I, I don't know. I personally think that a little bit of enrichment is needed. And although snakes may not be, you know, a primate or a dolphin in terms of intelligence, they probably get something out of climbing over a branch or climbing through some fake foliage or whatever. So for me, when people started, you know, kind of knocking the way I was keeping animals, I rethought it and uh, I took the criticism in a positive way and I adjusted and I thought, okay, well, you guys are right. And then now I've got one ball python in a rack still just because right now I can't go get PVC that I just bought because you can't touch anything or talk to anybody right now. But <laughs> I have a bunch of PVCs that are coming um, and, uh, yeah, eventually I'm going to have nothing in racks except for maybe a few ball pythons or not ball pythons, uh, leopard geckos, just because I do breed them and I, and I have good luck selling them. And I have produced, I don't even know what I would call it. Like I've never seen purples in these animals, like the ones that I produce. So I, I that's why I continue to do it because they, they're a little bit different than anything else you see on a, a reptile show table type thing.
0: Yeah, and, and animals that are being bred to be sold right away are not spending a lifetime in a rack, except for the mm-hmm. breeders, but you want to keep those clean and make sure everything's happening there. But, but the actual little baby geckos, a couple, I don't know, how long do you keep a baby before you sell it?
1: Uh, I just make sure that it's eating and growing properly. There's, sometimes it's, you know, two months, some other times it's five. It, it totally depends, but I've never had anything that I haven't kept for longer than seven or eight months before.
0: Right, and then it ends up in someone's home, where ideally they're creating a, a, a great enclosure for it. And yeah, it's it's one of the I think the rack, the very plain, like you said, you can do a rack system right, that's for sure. Right. And uh, but that plain, sterile, industrialized style rack is very old school. And as much as those old school guys like to get, you know. Be rude on Facebook. (laughs) They're starting to lose some traction, I think, and and younger people are coming to the hobby that are seeing it from a different point of view and going, "Hey, I want to actually create a big enclosure. Either I'm going to build it, or I'm just going to enjoy the process of creating uh, an enclosure with lots of decor." And then you're able to watch the animal behave naturally, which is a huge benefit of that.
1: And I think that's why we all got into this in the first place. Is none of us got into this to try to make a million dollars breeding reptiles? We all got into this because we grew up loving animals and for most of us, reptiles, obviously. So I think that to watch these animals in their, as natural an environment as you can create for them is the most enriching and most exciting part. That's why I got into it. When I first got my first bearded dragon, I tried to set it up so elaborately. And it's not, you can't do that if you have a hundred animals and you're trying to create a supply, but if you only have a few, I think that's really, and looking behind you, obviously you subscribe to that idea too so i'm trying to do that as well and i would like to say thank you to anyone who kind of came down on me in a nice constructive way and saying hey you need to do better and, and i took that and i ran with it and i think i'm going in the right direction
0: so so when you say people came down to you was that when you started your channel and you were showing some things that you had some comments coming in that were saying hey this isn't right or
1: yeah and i and the ones that i took seriously are the ones that sent me a dm hey man just so you know This is what mine looks like. This is why yours isn't the best it could be. The people who come down and just start like calling me four letter word. Like I don't take those people seriously, but the people who, you know, had took the time to write a paragraph and say, Hey, I think this would be beneficial. Not saying you have to do this, but I think maybe you'd like, if you did this, I took those people seriously. And uh, I've had a lot of really positive feedback from those same people, you know, six months later, 12 months later saying, Hey, I'm really glad that you did that. It's really cool uh, yeah. So thank you to anyone who took the time to do that.
0: Yeah. It's interesting how much more effective sending a comment like that can be, uh, rather than, you know, calling them names and whatnot. And, and it's sort of a trick that I've, I had someone comment, and they're a, a listener. They listen to the show all the time and and they, uh, so maybe they're listening to this right now. The last couple episodes I posted ago, I posted a pretty rude comment, but also like lots of swearing and, and attacking the individual who's on the show. And, uh, they said in the comment like they're a big fan of my show, but they really hated this episode. And I was like, well, that's fine So I, I just commented back like no problem that there's a disagreement in terms of the opinion, but If you follow my work, you know that I'm about clear concise dialogue and debate and I, and I want that without negative language It's really important And what I said to them is the negative language that you're bringing in or the attack that you're bringing in actually weakens your argument You know, Uh like it doesn't make your argument sound better. It makes it sound worse. I said, which is unfortunate because I think you probably have something interesting to share on this topic. And to their credit, they were awesome. They came back. They actually edited the comment, cleaned it up and left the the disagreement in there, which is perfectly fine, but took away the swearing and took away the sort of ad hominem attack. And it's like, that's perfect. But as creators, we almost always have to stay on top of those people because people get emotional, right? And they don't think and they're just like, this is just really pissing me off. I'm just going to send off a comment. And you do it before you think about it. And then they go after they think they go, okay, then maybe that was a bit much, but uh, on Facebook, that doesn't really happen. It's like people are attacking all <laughs> over the place.
1: As, and I think to a lesser degree too, if you as the creator are entertaining these people it kind of makes you look a little bit dumb too. And I fall into this trap all the time where it's like, and I look back and I think about it. Why am I even paying attention to what this person is saying? This person doesn't actually care about my animals or what I'm doing. They care about showing that they know more than me, and that's all it is. It's just a measuring competition of I know more than you. That's what half these conversations or half these comments are, and I feel kind of dumb even responding to them, but the people, like you said, that your listener, where they will go back and say, you know what, I was wrong to say that, I still have the same point, but let me convey it in a way that you'll actually take it seriously and maybe react to it, and I think that's the name of the game. If you don't like what someone's doing, be respectful, this is what I think, and this is why I think it, rather than this is what I think and you're an idiot also. You know, like, I, don't, <laughs> yeah. it, I don't understand that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. P.S., you're super dumb. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's, that's what half them are. And I just never... I don't know. I don't, I don't respond well to that. Like I don't respond at all most of the
0: time now. Yeah. And most people don't actually. So that's, that's kind of the way it goes. So let's talk about those, uh, outdoor enclosures. Cause I know you've been put in, you had, you've uh, had some heat from those as well, but I find those incredibly interesting and I know there's a lot of Americans that do that all the time because they have different mm-hmm. conditions. So tell me about that whole process because, uh, A, what made you decide to do that to begin with, and then B kind of the process that you went through to make it happen.
1: Um, so I think we talked about earlier about having the most natural environment available for your animals. Uh, and I'd like to preface it with, I live in the Niagara region, which is, I know people from the Congo that come here and can't believe how hot it is in the summer. Like to them, like we always say, oh, it's hotter than Africa. It's, it is literally hotter than Africa here and more humid a lot of the time. So I live in a perfect environment to have things like jeweled lizards, which come from parts of Spain. And we have almost the exact same climate or, uh, Heat humidity levels in the in the summer, so I can do that. But what made me want to do it is vitamin D or uh, uh, yeah, vitamin D from the sun is better outside. Period. Like there's no no matter how you do it, and uh, the UVB level is just more natural. So if you can safely do that, I think it's actually more healthy for the animal to have natural sun if you can provide it with the proper humidity and the proper uh, heat, and also give them a place to you know, get out of the sun as well. And they have enough sun. You have to make sure that it works out for the animal and their care requirements. But like you said, I mean, no one hates on Camp Kennan. He keeps everything outside. Sure. He lives in Florida, but the climate here in the Niagara region is very much like Florida in summer. So I feel like certain species, you can do that. And, uh, I've had Bob, my jewel, who came to me with metabolic bone disease. This will be his fifth summer outside this year. And he puts on weight every summer. So I don't know what the heck he's eating out there, but uh, we got some good bugs in the Niagara region, I guess, because, uh, I don't know, I-, I think that it's beneficial, so I guess, my long-winded, what I'm trying to say here.
0: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree, and I- it's something that I would love to do uh, when I have a yard at some point in the future, but in terms of th- that Jewel Lacerda, he came to you, how old was he? Was he pretty young?
1: They don't know. I, it was-, I was the third owner of him, and uh, they thought he was about three years old, and he was full grown, so it is possible that he was three years old, but I honestly don't have a clue. So if that's the truth, then maybe he's eight years old now and I don't know, he's halfway through, but he's, he's looking good, especially with the little T-Rex arms because they're all weathered from metabolic bone disease, but he seems to be a pretty happy guy.
0: Yeah. So in terms of his physical condition, he had some bone de- deformation and whatnot.
1: Yeah. Like his, uh, his kind of hands, like kind of look like that a little bit. They don't really work properly in the front. And then his tail has like a little boldest notch on the back. So he does have metabolic bone disease but that's not curable. There's nothing, you know, just you have to provide the best life you think can possibly have. So I was kind of reluctant to keep him outside. And, but when I did the first year, it seemed like he was, ha- he was acting more normally, like inside he was kind of skittish outside. I walk up to the cage and he just kind of like looks at me, you know, like, like a lizard does. So, and he was eating better and he put on weight. So I've been doing that ever since. And I, if I could live in a place like South Florida, I would keep as many things outside as I possibly could.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting because I think we just see reptiles as indoor pets almost and they definitely don't have to be. So the enclosure that you built is just uh, it's pretty big, right? It's uh, maybe you can talk about the dimensions and sort of how you built that cage.
1: Uh, So I think it's if I remember right, it's five feet long, three feet wide and three feet high. I'm pretty sure five by three by three, which is way bigger than you need. Uh, to be honest, I built it for a boa constrictor, and then we just decided not to keep that boa outside because uh, the temperament of it, we were just trying to work on it at the time. So I kept uh, him outside. I kept some bearded dragons outside one year when it was um, very dry. like The humidity was somewhere around 35% for most of that summer. So I, I've done that. Uh, and But in the video, the one that I made last year, I actually made for a ball python. People did not like this. And to a certain extent, I agree that the rubbing might Hurt their face. So I kept her in there for a little while. There was no rubbing, but last summer was very cool and wet and it just didn't work. So this year, I think I'm going to use that enclosure, which is a little bit smaller. It's three by two by two and a half uh, for my Sudan plated lizard, which actually needs a humidity level of between 50 and 70%, which is exactly what this area is. And they come from parts of Africa that have very similar climates. So big enclosures because I've got a huge yard. So why not make the biggest enclosure you could possibly make that can? you know, give them everything they need in terms of places to hide and they can still find their food and water.
0: Right. Yeah. And in terms of the rubbing, it's because the mesh is the mesh. It's like a metal mesh, I guess. Like, a, I don't even know what it is.
1: Yeah. Well, on the one that I've made for that, uh, I used a metal mesh because you can see through it better because metal can be stronger and thinner. The jeweled lacerta cage is made of a plastic mesh, so probably wouldn't be that bad. I may try that eventually, uh, but this year my plans only are to keep uh, the jeweled lacerta as always. And then this year I've got Sudan, Sudan plated lizard, which I've just gotten, uh, September so I'm gonna try to keep her out there man she's put on a lot of weight she looks really good I'm excited to see what she's like outside
0: That's so cool So in terms of like feeding are you do you specifically feed them or are you are they just eating whatever's out there or you supplement it
1: So I make sure that um, anything that grows into the cage I research what it is and I come from a plant background I, I sold plants for a living for six years so I've got a pretty good understanding of what grows around here. Uh, so I make sure that whatever is growing in my yard is not um, going to hurt their health. It's not poisonous to them. And then if it grows in their cage and they eat it, I don't care. And if, in terms of bugs, there's no insects around here or arachnids uh, that are poisonous to these animals either. So then I'm good. And I know people will say, oh, well, what about the ticks? You got a lot of ticks in your area." That is true, but I've never found a tick on any of my animals. And if I did, I would remove that tick and put them back inside. So I always monitor them first, and that's important. If anyone's watching this, oh, I'm going to do that too just make sure you monitor them and you do your research first. It takes a long time to know what you're doing. Um, But there is a good way to do it. It is, uh, there is a beneficial way to do it for sure.
0: And in terms of there's no supplementary heat or anything, right? You're just using the sun entirely for heat. And then
1: if it it gets too cold, I'll bring them in um, just because I don't have a power line to make, you know, a shed or something like that. But, it's, we're very lucky here, where it doesn't go down below 20 degrees Celsius. What's that? 68 Fahrenheit, I think. At night, most of the time, and if it does, I keep an eye on the weather report, and I actually get alerts on my phone using the Google uh, whatever weather app. If it goes below 65, I, I know because it, you know, rings me like it's an amber alert or something, so I don't you know miss it.
0: And then, what about rain?
1: Um, so I make sure that I. I the one thing that I guess I'm good at with building things is making sure that I have proper drainage and I understand drainage well because of my background in plants. So I always make sure there's a place where it's dry. And the first year when I kept bearded dragons outside, uh, I made sure that the drainage layer, I tested that for like a month first so that there's an area where they have um, a weatherproof container or hide, I guess. So I left them outside the rain and then I measured the humidity inside and then made sure that there's no, dampness at all and it works now you have to do this the proper way and there's you know maybe i'll do a video about this eventually but if it's a torrential downpour for like four days then yeah i'll probably bring him in the Lizard has always been fine just make sure that there's not puddles everywhere and there are dry areas otherwise you know scale rotten all that nasty stuff you don't want
0: yeah it's such an interesting idea and i think i would definitely try it if i had the space to do it because like you said the the natural rays from the sun are so important and it you'd have to kind of release a release the tendency to want to micromanage the environment right as as keepers inside like we just have this you know everything needs to be laser focused with the temperatures and the humidity and when you go outside clearly you have to throw some of that out the window but the animals are so good at regulating like if they want to be more humid they're going to be closer to the soil if they want to get away uh, he'll probably move or climb up higher onto on top of the hide or something like that i'm sure what about it do you take like a laser temperature gun out there and sort of measure hot spots to see where they are
1: yeah, all the time. And you know those uh, little microclimate things that you put in your house and it says the humidity and the temperature for the last 24 hours? I put those so I make like burrows for them as well. And I would use just like PVC pipe for this. And I make burrows and I stick those things in there. And then I come back after two days and I find out like what, how cold did it get, how humid did it get, how hot did it get. And I put those in three or four places so I know, okay, well, it gets down to 65 degrees here and it only gets up to about 80. So this is perfect for a cool side. And on this side, it got up to 140, say, which is too hot. But right below that in the hide, it only got up to 100 degrees, which is, you know, perfect for a Sudan plate lizard, for example. So you have an option. They can either get hotter than they need to or cooler than they need to. But in the middle, they always have that gradient and they can get exactly where they need to go.
0: Yeah. And they're not trapped in that 140 degree section. Like if for some reason he wanted to go there, he could. But he's not Mm -hmm. going to spend more than a couple minutes there before he goes and finds some shade.
1: Right. And I think that's the interesting thing too. If you work for a living and you can't be at home, you know, between the hours of nine to five, you still need to measure during those times. So if you take a laser pointer at the beginning and end of the day, it might look good. But then if you were to put a 24 hour, how hot did it get? Oh man, I didn't know that it got up to 140, you know, and if it's 140 everywhere, you're going to cook your animal. If it's 140 over here and 80 over here, then you're a-ok. You're good to go.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, but you're so right. I mean, people watch Cannon all the time, and they just—it's just part of the life in Florida. Everything gets to stay outside, and he would—he ne- hates keeping animals inside. But for some reason, when Canadians do it, they get mad.
1: <laughs> and not only that, but the air quality too. Like, sure, the air quality in your home is probably good, but outside, especially if you live in a place—I mean, it's kind of smoggy here—but the air quality is still better outside than it would be inside. And the stagnation of the air, although. I think reptiles are fine. Like it's, I just think it's something to consider also that if you have a breeze going, that's something that's more natural. And I don't know if I've ever read a study that says, yeah, the wind or a breeze is better, but that air is constantly moving. And likely it's a better quality of air than they get inside, which is something that I don't think really anyone ever talks about.
0: Yeah, it's true, actually. You, you don't hear a lot about movement of air and that's one of the, the things I see all the time now people are starting in that sort of the intense vivarium world those guys that go really hardcore you start seeing them add like small fans and whatnot to keep the airflow happening and uh, but really in terms of most people in the hobby that's not a thing people just you know you might even seal up your vents to, to keep humidity in.
1: Yeah that's the nice thing about living here we've got an escarpment all around us in Lake Ontario there and Lake Erie there so we have this humidity that gets trapped inside but the air doesn't get stagnant like it would uh, if you trapped all the vents because we have a breeze, it's outside. So I, I think it's honestly the perfect microclimate here. And you can actually make different microclimates in your yard uh, depending on the species. So if you have a species that needs 90%, you can make it so that there's a part that's 90%. Um, of course, if you need a species that's and the ambient humidity is only 50 is up to 50. You can't really do much to take away the humidity, but you can always add some in a smaller section of your yard, which is something very interesting in and of itself, I think.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah. So yeah, you guys have a very interesting climate. Our summer climate here in Manitoba is very similar. We have a ridiculous amount of humidity because we have two big lakes in the province and it's the prairie heat is, is really quite hot. But in the, in the winter, we go real cold and super, super dry. Do you guys have dryness in the winter? You're still pretty humid.
1: It's really humid. And uh, we don't get super cold here. Like a lot of my friends and, you know, back in the day when the oil boom happened, they all moved out west mm. to Edmonton and, you know, Fort St. John. And there, like in Edmonton, if you go outside, it's minus 40, minus 40 is minus 40. But here, if it's minus eight, because it's so humid, it feels colder here than it did there. And, and anyone who's ever lived here and lived there will tell you it's it's worse here just because it's so, you feel like wet and gross and cold and wind. And yeah, It's it doesn't get as cold as it does like where you are, but the humidity, man, it makes it disgustingly cold. Like it it does terrible. actually.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because here, I actually don't mind like a minus 30, minus 40. And some people might think that's crazy, but what you dress for and you're, it's it's actually not that bad. But I remember a few years ago, I was in Florida and I was tr- training and swimming and we were training in an outdoor pool. And I think it was, it got real cold. It was like minus minus one or something which is kind of laughable for a winnipegger but (laughs) but it was so humid it was like bone chilling you know like it just like got deep into your body how cold it was and i was really shocked at how how much that humidity can make you feel way colder
1: it permeates you and that's the and here too I'll, i'll like go shovel my driveway but when i come in there's like my beard and my mustache are like crystallized Yeah, where i've done you know cold areas like in edmonton and it's just you know, it's cold, it feels cold, but it just doesn't like permeate you, it doesn't like get inside. It's a weird thing to explain. It's really hard to explain once you felt it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. So, in, in the wintertime, inside, are you? is it low humidity inside your reptile room, for example, or is it actually pretty easy to maintain humidity?
1: Um, it's pretty easy to maintain as, uh, just because there's certain enclosures that have screen tops that keep humid and I go the extra mile to mist them all the time, but my um, reptile room is in the next room over here and my furnace room is behind me. so. The furnace kind of sucks out the humidity, so it doesn't ever get to like ninety or eighty percent even in my in my reptile room. About fifty, or even down to like forty. So I can keep leopard geckos safely, and and um, you know I've never had a respiratory issue. But also I can keep you know my boa constrictor, my uh, blue tongue skink, uh, which needs about a seventy percent. Uh, humidity level and I just close up some of the vents and I spray them down and it stays around 65, 70% in there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. That, that makes sense. So in terms, I know you've mentioned a few of the animals that you have. So what, what is in your collection right now? Obviously you have the leopard geckos and the boa and a blue tongue skin and the lucerta, but what else? Um,
1: so I still have the very first uh, leopard gecko that I ever got. Uh, his name is that's, awesome. that, that, that's his, or sorry, this is little She's a, a girl, but that's her dad. And, uh, so I've got him. I've got a bunch of leopard geckos. Um, my boa constrictor. I got a Doomrolls boa a couple weeks ago, and that's kind of my newest. She's still in quarantine, of course. Maybe turning to my favorite. Rep- I, I love her. She's great. Ball pythons. Um, some crested geckos. I've got four crested geckos. Um, I've got some axolotls as well. They're my girlfriends, but those are something that a lot of people don't talk about. And when you make videos about them, like people don't watch them. <laughs> I guess no one really cares about aquatic salamanders. <laughs> uh, but I think that's that's pretty much it i keep a lot of the same species but i'd like to uh, oh and the sudan played lizard of course as well
0: yeah that's that's a pretty good collection you got a little uh menagerie of different things different areas of the world which is always nice
1: yeah i've always liked to keep uh something from every continent when, when i was a kid I, that's all i watched was like nature shows and even i say it when i was a kid that last night i watched two nature documentaries so it's just, <laughs> I'm just what did you watch so it was this one from 2004, I found it on Amazon Prime, it was called like Into the Wild or something, or it wasn't Into the Wild, but it was about, it was about snakes, and it was really awful because the narrator had a phony British accent, was calling venomous snakes poisonous, so it wasn't the oh, greatest, no. No. but they had some really good information about Burmese pythons, if it's true, and uh, the one that I watched before that, it was another one that was from like the 1970s, I think that was called Into the Wild. So I watch basically not everything there is to watch, but I like finding different stuff that some people don't even know exists. And it's just very interesting to see how they talked about things in like the '70s, even like 2004, and then now it's so right. different, completely different.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I I think like for example, Planet Earth when that came out, that really blew I think a lot of our minds. Like that initial documentary. I mean, there were so many other ones before that, but that was something that just totally changed my whole perspective on animals. And, and yeah, it it is kind of cool to be able to keep something from different parts of the world. And you can say, this is from Africa, this is from Australia or whatever it is. And, and when people come over, you have this sort of almost like United nations of animals in in your reptile room.
1: Yeah, that's what I was saying before. I think that it's every part of the world is so interesting because it's so, if you really think about how small earth is, but uh, there's so many different areas and different animals And parallel evolutions, which I think is interesting too, like my Dumoul's boa is from Madagascar and my uh, BCI, the common boa, is from South America, which are nowhere near each other. But if you really look at them, they're pretty darn similar. So to me, that parallel type of evolution is so interesting.
0: Yeah, it is. And that's the really cool thing about reptiles. And I think that, well, I guess fish probably have this as well, that you don't get to keep exotic animals from different parts of the world and many other Pet hobbies. I mean, if you're going to no. be in the mammals, like you're going to deal with, you know, rats or, or hamsters and whatnot. But fish and reptiles give you that opportunity to create dif- different slices of nature inside inside a, a, your your space, your whatever whatever room, if your reptile room or your living room it doesn't matter. It's that's one of my favorite parts about it.
1: Yeah, I agree too, and I think it's cool. Um, even certain there's certain animals that I've foregone getting because they need such a cool temperature in comparison. Uh, mandarin rat snakes. There was one at an expo a few months ago. And if you know what a man rat snake is, it's hard to have that in your hands and then not say, I'll give you whatever you want for this animal. This is amazing. Mm
0: -hmm. But
1: if they get to the temperature that I keep in my reptile room for everyone else, including some of the rat snakes, then they will perish. And I don't have, you know, I've got an ax long room here, but I don't know. This is my girlfriend's domain and I don't really want to put a snake in here. And my Crested Geckos, right? I can't put them in the reptile room either because if it spikes up to 82, uh, you know, they might get inside their 85 and then the leopard or the crested geckos won't do well. So to me, things that can be so similar need such different climates and temperatures. And I don't know, just, I think it makes you more knowledgeable about reptiles in general to know the differences between them.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. The, the mandarin rat snakes are amazing looking for sure. They're just beautiful. How, how cool do they need to be?
1: Uh, I forget what, when I did the research it was like 78 or something like that. Like they can't get above... It was like 82. It was something very low. I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, I was talking to the, the gentleman about it, and I knew that they needed to be keep, kept cool. And then when I did the research there, I just I decided not to go with. It. I just couldn't do it safely. And I think that there's a difference between buying something impulsively and having like no setup. Where where here I've got tons of setups in, in case I have something. You know, my quarantine rack. Uh, if something comes up, hey, I can't keep this. I need to get rid of it now. I'm moving tomorrow, which has happened before. And then I have, you know, but with this mandarin rat snake, it just wasn't the case. There's no, I don't have anywhere I could put this thing where I would, you know, live really.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the ones Like, you don't need any supplementary heat with that. I guess it's just room temperature as long as it's decent.
1: Some, yeah. Some people say like a little type of heat pad type thing, really low, but I know there's a bunch of ways to do it. I, yeah, low temperature stuff to me is very interesting. And then once I live in a larger house, I would love to have a second room for things like crested geckos and maybe a mandarin rat snake and other type of uh, animals that need a lower temperature. But I mean, I'm pretty cool with the reptile room in there. And if it's ever cold and I come in from shoveling and I got like ice on my beard, I can walk in there. It's 80 degrees. And it's like walking into a saw. It's awesome. I love it. Yeah.
0: That. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, um, it, it- that's one of the tricky things about going to a reptile expo is not coming back with an animal and you need to be able to control that impulse. And, and I love expos. I think they're awesome. But I think there is that sort of dark side to them sometimes that a lot of people get sent home with an animal that you know, the person really needed to make the sale and, the, and they sort of sacrifice the potentially the, the, the animal, actually.
1: And I uh, use the, the term the reptile trade or the pet trade a lot. People don't like that. It's a hobby, it's not a trade. But at the end of the day, man, if you are breeding reptiles as your profession, you need to sell those animals in order to put food on the table and uh, you know keep a roof over your head. So that does happen. I am glad that I'm trying to make money doing other things uh, than just selling reptiles because I never want to be that guy that I have to choose between selling me something that you know that you, I know you can't handle and it's probably going to not do well or put food. I don't want to do that. I don't want to choose between. So if I can make you know money other ways doing this and not have to worry about selling the animals. I don't, that's just why I started, you know, really ramping up the YouTube channel, doing other things. And I want to, you know, educational shows is something that I'd love to start doing as well. I like the f- the idea of making money, doing your passion, but I don't like the idea of putting yourself in a situation where you have to do something maybe a little bit shady in order to continue paying your bills.
0: Yeah, no, that's, it's so true. It, there's, uh, I think there was this moment in, in the reptile industry where they, it, you know, typically people assume the only way to make money was through selling. And now we have so many different opportunities and you do not need to have, I've said this so many times on the show, a thousands of animals to have credibility here. You can, you can have a single leopard gecko and just know everything there is to know about it and still add some value here without feeling like you need to go buy a a rack full of geckos to be able to talk about it.
1: And I think that that's really catching on and you're actually more credible a lot of the time if you only have I think I only have like 30 something animals. Now I used to have 70 something, uh, when I had all the ball pythons and I feel more responsible now. I'm not stressed out. I spend less time in the reptile room working and more time interacting. And I think that's the new wave is that you don't need to have a hundred animals. If you only have, you know, 13 animals, like you can be just as knowledgeable as the other guy. It's, it's a quality thing over quantity. And a lot of the time, If you have more animals than you can care for, you don't have time to learn about them and continue to grow. You only have time to maintain. And that's actually probably detrimental detrimental to your credibility than anything else.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah, you could easily get overwhelmed. And even, I only have six animals and sometimes I've found myself thinking like, well, I I haven't actually spent time with the animals, watching them or or interacting with them in the way that I want, I just end end up cleaning them and feeding them and kind of leaving the room. And I always have to remind myself, no, you got to enjoy them a little bit. Like the other day I looked at my carpet python and I was like, I feel like I haven't looked at you in a long time, you know, and I only have six. So if you get up to like a hundred or 50, 60 animals, you're really just becoming a, uh, all you're doing is caring for them at the, at the base and you can't enjoy them in the way that you, you probably could.
1: And even like the space thing too, like with you, you've got six, and, but all of your enclosures look beautiful. And that's why that's why I watch your channels because you were doing things differently than uh, the, I don't need to say his name, you know who I'm talking about, who has a facility and they're all in racks. And obviously that guy has changed. And If you want to get more on that topic, we, we can, but it's interesting that that was very acceptable. Even five, six years ago, no one cared. And then now that's the most hated person on, you know, in this niche uh, and even, you know now he's got a zoo so with me i think that you know having all these animals like 70 animals and they're all in racks i would much rather cut down the collection make sure they all go to good homes of course if you're doing this uh and then have you know little little foot here lives with uh sarah who, which was her clutch mate but they live in a big enclosure it's very naturalistic natural substrate uh they have different water bowls food bowls, the whole thing so i don't know i think there's a, a right way to do it if you have more than six animals but also if you have six you're the guy who makes enclosures and has, you know, your is more dedicated to how to make animals lives better than I have 30 species. Let's do 30 care guys. That's it. yeah, thing.
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, I think there's a transition happening and it's kind of, it's, it's very cool to see. Um uh, I feel like I don't see your boa very much. Is, is your boa kind of mean or,
1: um, I don't like to call her mean, but I mean, <laughs> we're, we're working with them. We're working with her. And, um, I'll be honest, I don't like getting bit by snakes. I don't like getting bit by six foot snakes, especially. Uh, I've got a little sister who's a little bit crazy and she comes over and handles that boa Like it's no big deal. So I think that's kind of like given me the, um, the cojones to just kind of, you know, if I take a bite, I take a bite. Uh, so I think that I'm working with her more just because like, I'm less worried about it. And also with Boas, they are very different in their body language. And I think I'm good at reading the body language of a ball python. If I'm about to get bit, I know it. Like there's really no surprise, but with this boa, she strikes so differently so I think just uh, having a little bit more time and, and uh, you know, with less reptiles that I'm going to be able to bring her out more. And that is a video that's coming soon Is you know, we did one about how to handle reptiles that might be a little bit more cantankerous, but yeah, it's something I've been working on for a while and I feel more confident now where if I'm talking to you like this, how many times have I looked at this gecko? I'm not worried about her biting me with that boa constrictor. I'm worried that it's going to take me three hours to film the video because I'm just going to be kind of looking like, what is this thing doing all the time? That's yeah, basically yeah. why I don't see her.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because that's kind of an unusual behavior for boas. Typically, boas are pretty calm. Yeah. Did did she come, did you get her as a baby and then she was always crazy or?
1: No, I got her from a buddy of mine who uh, he got engaged and he moved in with uh, his in-laws and they're like, yeah, (laughs) you can't have snakes, man. Snakes are weird. So he just showed up (laughs) at my house one day and he's like, hey, do you want this? I'll take it back in a year. This was three years ago. so. It's my boa now, and I just, at the beginning, I was trying to, like, handle her more, but she was small. She was very little. She was at that stage when they're babies, and they're still pretty cantankerous, so I never, I don't know, I probably should have put in more work then. I had too many animals to, you know, I, it's really my fault. When she was younger, I should have put in more work, and then now that she's bigger, it's just a little bit more risky putting in the work that I'm putting in now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now, now you have to take the bite from the six-foot snake, which is not fun.
1: It's not fun, man. <laughs> not no. at all.
0: Um, so future plans with the channel, do you have a vision for where you want to take it? Are you kind of talking about some educational things or are you just kind of taking it video by video?
1: Um, I'm kind of taking it video by video, but in the grand scheme of things, I started this as a purely educational channel. And then I have realized through the good comments and bad that I am not an expert. I never, I always knew I wasn't an expert, but I would like to continue growing and maybe add a little bit more entertainment as well. I think anyone who's watched the channel from before and now the editing is getting better. I think at the end of the day, I'm trying to get good enough with the production that keeps your attention so that you can learn in a more interesting way than reading a care guide that was written by someone who's never told a joke in his life. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to make it, the entire purpose of the channel is let's learn together, but let's have fun doing it. Um, So I think at the end of the day, I'm just trying to build an audience, get better, learn from everybody and have this kind of back and forth I'm teaching you something you teach me something and let's kind of learn together which is the the motto of the channel
0: yeah no that's awesome and and yeah clearly you're you're very good at, at uh, being on camera and it is entertaining and it's clearly working because your your audience is just you know increasing every single day I'm sure you're getting uh, I don't know a couple thousand subscribers a month it seems like
1: uh yeah it, it's weird man like I was getting I think last month it was 3,200 and then this month it's like down to 50 it's it's weird I think with this whole thing that's going on in the world but analytics are not Pointing the way that they were before and people don't care as much about their hobbies. They're trying to, you know, they're watching um, the Philip DeFranco's of the world talking about actual news stuff that matters. Cause right now at the end of the day, I mean, if you have a leopard gecko and it's living, you know, there's more in, important things in the world right now going on. So I think that's going to change, but there was a time when I was getting like hundred, 140 subscribers a day. And I, I like that because when you put in, you know, 12 hours, 14 hours into the production from beginning to end of a video, it's nice that people watch. And I think that's the thing, I'm not making a million dollars, I'm not making enough to even live off of the channel, right? Uh, the entire goal is to have a big enough audience where it's worth the amount of time you put into it and you're teaching enough people and getting enough feedback. Because at the end of the day, sure, making a couple bucks is, bucks is great, but being able to start a Discord channel, have a hundred people join and talk to people or have comments come in, hey man, you've inspired me. We're at Reptile Expos, when people come up to you and want to shake your hand, dude, I I did this, I I upgraded my enclosure because of something that you said, or that is honestly the best feeling in the world. And that is why I started the channel. And uh, it's really paying off, just the feedback from people who watch, it, it doesn't get any better than that.
0: Yeah. It's, it's really awesome when you can create this community that sort of unites around the message and shows up for every video. And and you, like you said, it's a mutual relationship. It's not you just talking down and saying, this is what it is. It's like, hey, what do you guys think? I, I created this this list, but what what, what would be on your list? And, and that's what I love about those list videos because it does really engage your audience so, so mm-hmm. thoroughly.
1: And uh, I changed my opinion a lot because of those. So, and that's why I never speak in absolutes. I always say, this is how I do it. This is how you could do it because it al- it's always changing. The way you kept bearded dragons five years ago to now even is different. And I'm, I'm going to make more videos about, Hey, this is what I thought. And this is how I've changed. And I, you know, so that that's, so that the back and forth thing seems genuine, which it is. I genuinely think that the input that I get from people watching is super beneficial to me. And there's a lot of people out there that know more than you and I, but they just, for whatever reason, didn't start a podcast or didn't start a channel. So if they can teach us who do want to do these things and project and put ourselves out there, then we can kind of take those voices, voice them to people who want to need that, or need that information.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, I think that'd be awesome. I think, I, I know, that would probably resonate really well with uh, with the audience, just learning how how people have changed. People like that story. People don't like the, hey, this is how I've always done it and I'm an expert. People like, this is where I started and this is where I am now. So that is fantastic. Uh, Adam, thank you so much for joining me today. This was, this was great. Can you let everybody know where you can be found, not physically, but online?
1: Yeah, um, so the website, by the time this is out, uh, it's going to launch today, so about two weeks ago. if this comes out in two weeks. Um, so com, and um, if you are looking to buy an animal and you're local, I've got some stuff cooking in the incubator. On social media, Wickens Chickens or Wiccans Wicked Reptiles on everything um, and you know, if you want to subscribe to the channel and make a top five list, if you put it in the comments section below, I'll make that video next. So
0: That's awesome. Oh, great. Well, thank you very much for, for uh, chatting with me. It was a pleasure.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you very much.
0: All right. That is the end of today's episode. Adam, thank you very much for joining me. Definitely go check out Adam's content on his Instagram and his YouTube. Links are in the show notes below. As we said in the episode, he creates these really interesting lists. So that's definitely worth going to check out. He has some really good care guides on his channel as well. And he seems to go live on a pretty consistent basis or at least a relatively consistent basis. So that might be something you're interested in too. Thank you very much to Custom Reptile Habitats for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you do want to support the podcast, go check out Custom Reptile Habitats. If you do make a purchase, a small commission does come back to me, and of course, that helps support the show. If you'd like to show your support in another way, definitely share the episode on social media and give the podcast a five-star rating on the Apple Podcasting app. Or go to animalsathome.ca shop and pick yourself up a sweater or a t-shirt. does get donated to the Amazon Rainforest Conservancy. I will see you guys next week